I think it's really important to say this podcast, this conversation is not about being a writer with a capital W. My mm-hmm. work isn't about being a writer with a capital W. It's not about getting book deals. It's not, I mean, that would be lovely. Again, rich benefactor, book publishers, if you're listening. <laughs> but what it really is, what drives me, my deepest belief is that we all do have the capacity to create art inside of us. And, and actually, I believe it's a necessity. It's essential to our well-being. <laughs> This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 280 with guest Jeanette LeBlanc. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you're here. And I'm also so glad that it's May. I just come alive in this springtime, y'all. And as I record this, next week I'm headed out to Amsterdam for the first time. Never been over there. I'm going to go speak at the Happiness Festival. It's happiness with a Z, so I'm not sure if it's pronounced happiness. Is that how the Dutch pronounce it? I have no idea, but I'm sure I will find out. So if you happen to be over there, if you happen to be one of our international listeners, or if you want to hop on the plane (laughs) and head out, I am speaking on May, let's make sure I get this right, on May 9th and 10th. Friday and Saturday. I'm doing two lectures. I'm super pumped and just honored to have been asked to come and speak there. Apparently, this festival is a really big deal over there. Apparently... The Europeans love their festivals. I must be like camping here in the United States. It's like, I don't think camping is like a thing anywhere else. (laughs) Camping is very American. I think festivals are really a thing over there. So I'm super pumped to be able to go and do that. And then the following week, I am hosting at my house for the first time. I've never hosted a workshop retreat at my house, but we're going to go for it. The lovely and amazing women in my mentorship masterclass. I cannot wait to have this small group gather in my living room. And I just, I love in-person stuff. I love hugging people and seeing their faces and watching them do the work and seeing transformations. I can't wait. And last thing, what else do I have going on? Next week, I'm going to make an announcement here on the podcast that I'm super excited about a addition that we are bringing on to the podcast. It's going to be a little experiment. I love doing experience or experiments, I should say. And I try not to be too attached to if they're going to work out or not, because I've done that before where I get really excited about something and then it's just kind of like, meh. <laughs> Either I don't really like it that much or the audience is just kind of like whatever. And so we walk away from it. But I I am excited to see how it turns out. And if you are a member of my Patreon group, then this rollout is going to be first for y'all. So if you want to head on over to patreon.com slash YKAL, it supports the show. I cannot do this without y'all over there supporting the show. Thank you so, so, so much. So patrons, look out next week. There's gonna be a special announcement in the feed for all of you. Can't wait. All right, brings me to today's guest. Jeanette LeBlanc is here, y'all, and I am so excited to bring her to you. She and I have been social media friends for a while, and I have followed her work and just think she's brilliant as a writer and what she brings to the world. And we're going to be talking about writing. We're going to be talking about rituals. We're going to be talking about transformation, all of the things. And if you don't consider yourself a writer, please stay, because I do think this is for everyone, not just writers. And before we jump in, let me tell you a little bit about our guest. Jeanette LeBlanc spent most of her years working very hard 
to be a good girl. Anyone else out there? One day she woke up and decided to write her way out of her own life. Things haven't been the same since. A single mama to two ridiculously unruly daughters, Jeanette believes in the smooth honey burn of whiskey, the crashing of ocean waves, pencil skirts, vintage band tees, and fringed boots. The kinship of the wild wolf, walking for miles in unfamiliar cities, the power of dark red lipstick, and the necessity of putting out for the muse on the regular. So without further ado, here is Jeanette. Jeanette, thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. You and I have known each other for a bit on the internets and been internet friends. And I've admired your work so much. And I know so many people that speak so highly of you. And I was like, I've got to get this woman on the damn show. So here you are today. And we're going to talk about, who knows? I never know where we're going to go within each conversation, but I know you, like me, are a writer. And before anyone turns off the episode, I think that writing is for everyone. Well, let's just start there. What do you think about people who are like, I'm not a writer, so never mind. What do you think about that? So my favorite clients, um, my, my people for the most part, and I work with people all along the writing journey, but the people who have my heart are the, but I'm not a writers. Really? Yeah. So if you look at my website, that's actually in my little tagline. I love working with people who have, you know, they grew up loving books and loving words and yeah. they read things on the internet and go, gosh, I wish that I could do that. And so my real calling, the thing I love the most is to show somebody who has had that feeling and that desire that actually they do have that. They do have a story. They do have the ability to tell it. And that they're the only one who can. Mm -hmm. True. All of that is so true. All right. Well, and speaking of your website, so your bio said something that jumped out at me and I would love to start there. So your bio says that you decided to write your way out of your own life. So can you tell us more about that and how I'm, I'm assuming that essentially that brought you to the work that you do today? Absolutely. So I had no intention of becoming a writer. I have a science degree. So do I. I oh, well, yeah. <laughs> No one. Well, I, I actually thought for like a minute about becoming an English major, but I was like, no, that's not for me. I'm not good at that. No, I took one English class in college and I hated it. So, and I really thought the creativity gene had skipped me entirely. I remember saying that to people that other people in my family were so creative and that I just didn't have that. Um, and it wasn't until actually I got pregnant with my first daughter and I started writing. Okay. So I'm going to age myself here. But I started a GeoCities website, so anyone listening to the podcast of a certain age. That wasn't that long ago, was it? <laughs> it was pretty, it was, I mean, my daughter's 17 and a half, so it was a while. Oh, okay. Well, that was one of those things, like, where we think, like, wasn't the 90s, like, 10 years ago? Okay, yeah. continue. <laughs> okay. You, you just aged yourself as well. <laughs> right. So I made this little GeoCities website with floral background, I mean, hideous and awful and, and started sharing because I didn't live near any of my family and friends. And so I just started writing this experience. Um, and that led to keeping a diary. This was pre-blog day. So keeping a diary on a parenting website. And that just kind of continued. I was, I was basically a mommy blogger before blogs. Um, but it was just something that I did on the side. It was a way I shared my experiences with motherhood and my growth into that new phase of life. Um, but when things really shifted is actually in 2007, 2008, when I came out of the closet and left my marriage. And I remember being up at night searching. I probably wasn't even Google then, right? 2007 mm -hmm. was Yahoo. I don't yeah. <laughs> so searching and searching and trying to find my story somewhere because I wanted to find that common ground and I wanted to find out what other people like me were doing. And I couldn't find it. So I just had this moment that where I went, okay, I'm going to have to write this. If nobody else is writing this, I'm going to have to write it. And I started an anonymous blog where I was Jen, I think, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and wrote the really raw, brutal, grief-filled, confusing details of that whole entire journey. So I actually literally did write my way out of one life and into another. Oh, okay. 
Interesting. So you were just like looking for a place to not only tell your story, but in hopes of finding other people that had similar stories and feelings that you did. Yeah, and exactly. And I did. And women started writing me and saying, this is me too. What should I do? Was it worth it? How did you get through this? And it, and it created kind of a whole little community around the space. That's interesting because mine started that way too. And I'm curious if you felt like, okay, did you feel differently once you found out that people were reading? I think I didn't in the beginning quite as much because I did it anonymously. So I wasn't risking anything at that point. Um, and I'm curious to hear about your experiences too. There was a point, um, a ways in, I was kind of through like the really tumultuous part of that transition, but I had the chance to publish an essay based on that blog in an anthology and I had to decide if my name would be attached to it or not. Mm-hmm. And so I made the decision to attach my name to that, which basically outed me again. <laughs> and the experience of writing that blog changed because it was no longer just my story. So as long as it was anonymous, that story belonged only to me. Mm-hmm. And as soon as my name was attached. It was also my children's story and my right. ex-husband's story and all of that. So there's uh, more, yeah, there's more at stake. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's a really real concern. Yes. And I hear that from a lot of people who are thinking about writing or publishing on a blog and things like that. They might have a nine to five that, that might affect them and other people, mm-hmm. et cetera. Uh, well, mine, my experience was a little bit different because I started a blog in 2008 and it was when I was going through life coach training. And so I kind of had a good feeling like this was going to turn into something that had to do with my life coaching practice. Like I didn't even call it a business back then. Cause I was like sort of the accidental entrepreneur. I was like, Oh, you mean I actually have to like learn how to get clients and like run a business? I didn't, I didn't know that going in. <laughs> you mean they're not just going to show up? But I, when I was writing, I, and people started to actually read it. I had a minor freak out of, oh, people might judge or criticize or just even have an opinion. And both outcomes were scary. If they liked it, I was going to be scared because there was stuff attached to that. And then if they didn't like it, I was going to be scared. So I, it was all around definitely an experience, I think, going public with my writing. Absolutely. And I don't think that that ever really entirely changes. You get used to it and you adjust to your ways of showing up in the world as a public, whether you're a writer or an entrepreneur, we all have public faces now because of social media. So it used to be that just the the famous people had a public face and a private face, you know, to that extent. But now we all do that and we all have to choose what gets shared and what gets held Mm -hmm. Um, and what level of vulnerability we're going to bring to all those interactions. Yes. Well, you talk about, you often talk about free writing and how it changed your relationship with writing and what is free writing and how did it affect, well, just your writing, but also just your life in general, because what I hear from people is a resistance to journaling. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if you can sort of tie in your answer to that. Absolutely. So for me, free writing is key. And if anyone listening has been a part of any of my writing communities or workshops, you know, we almost always, we start with attention and then free writing is the second step. I think that as humans, we tend to edit our experience. We want to clean it up. We want to, even to ourselves, make it kind of look better, Mm -hmm. (laughs) look neater and tidier and all pulled together. So even with journaling, a lot of times we don't want to, to write into these spaces until we know the answers to the questions that we're writing about. For me, free writing, which to me basically means um, in the most uh, concrete sense, you set a timer, you sit down with your computer or you sit down with your blank page and you promise to yourself that you are going to write until that timer dings. Even if all you're writing is, this is shit. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I yeah. don't have anything to say. But if you can keep with that for long enough, there is a point. I don't know. Are you a runner? Yes. Have you ever been a runner? Occasionally so that, at this point. Yeah. I hear you. Me too. <laughs> Running sucks, right? <laughs> it's yes. awful. And if you run for it long enough that you hit that stride, that you blast through all of the stuff that's going on in your brain and all of the protesting of your body and you get to that place, you know, that place, right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I think it's not, it's not just, um, 
just running any kind of physical activity or any kind of way we're pushing ourselves, if we can get to that zone of flow where all of a sudden we're kind of moving through and that happens with free writing as well, but you have to let yourself go into the awkwardness and the, the hold back and the hesitation long enough to get there. Yes. And, and so I've never actually put it together that writing is the same as that. Do you feel like, and this is like genuine curiosity, do you feel like there's two types of people, like the people that, because I do think that people's brains work differently, or maybe there's just like blockages for people. Do you think there's people who just really have a hard time free flowing from their head out into, or their heart even out into their hands? Because I don't feel like I've ever had that problem. Like I always feel like I have something to write about. And now my journaling, honest to goodness, is sometimes like four or five sentences. That's all I do. And that's what's working for me at this moment. I, I have, I kept my journals from when I was a teenager. I would write and write and write about all of my feelings and all of my circumstances. It just, I've never struggled in that area. And I do have compassion for people that do because I've seen people really struggle with that. So what do you think? What do you think about that? So first off, we all hate you now. I know. I'm sorry. And I, it's the same thing. Like I have really short periods too. I'm sorry. But I, I do struggle <laughs> in other areas, you guys. I have a four-day period. People are like, fuck off. <laughs> okay. Well, mine is two. So I've got to be there. But that might be because I'm 43. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Reeling it back in. Um, I would say that you, uh, the people that find me, obviously, this is a self-selected group. And they are most likely going to come find me because they have a story that they're not able to tell or they're not telling the way they want to. Um, but I will say that you would be a rare person um, in that group, at least to start with. Mm-hmm. Most people have some kind of hesitation, block, resistance, whatever name you want to give it. Um, and it can be related to shame. It can be related to old you know, messages from parents or teachers that you're not good enough at something. It can be related to thinking your story is either too boring and not interesting enough or too traumatic Mm -hmm. and too vulnerable to share. There's all these levels of things that, that people hold back from. For those people, free writing can be a tool that'll get you past that space where it's non-negotiable. I mean, part of writing, there's the side of writing, right? That's, that's the sexy call in the muse, light the candles, drink the whiskey, whatever you have to do to set the scene. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and you hit that flow and things are coming out and words are kind of tumbling out faster than you can get them and you create beauty, right? You know, right from the get go. That in my experience is the more rare Mm -hmm. side. And I'd love to hear your experience with it. The other part of, of writing, of telling a story of showing up in the world in that way is, is the really unsexy sitting down, and developing a practice around it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now Here's, everybody's turning it off. Like, I don't want an unsexy. Yeah. Writing. Well, okay. And somebody just asked me, I was at a speaking event last week and there was a woman who asked me if you could pick anything to do, like the thing that comes the most naturally to you, the thing you love the most between, I think here were the options she gave me. She said, podcasting, writing, running retreats, or running programs or, or some, some, something like that. She gave me like four options. She's like, which one would it be? And I said, first of all, that's like asking me to choose between my children because I love them all so much. And I said, but the thing that I feel like if you took away from me, I would feel like like broken would be writing because it's the thing that I truly feel like the universe was like, here's the thing that we're asking you to do. Like we've given this to you, this skill. And it feels weird to call it a gift for some reason. Maybe that's my own like weird belief system. But I, for as far as like the creative process is that Uh, ideas come to me fully formed. Many of them come to me fully formed where I will sit down and write something and not remember writing it. And that's how I know it's like some weird thing that sort of like takes over that I can't explain to people. But please know that there have been many a times. Oh, and she also asked me the question. This is one of the reasons I want to tell that story because she asked me the question, do you feel like, or do you have some kind of writing ritual where you sit down and like feel the creativity? And I said, I'll tell you what, when someone pays me money and I sign on the dotted line, that is my motivation <laughs> to get shit done because 
and I and it's and it's not always fun. Like that feels like a job. I'm not gonna lie and say like, oh yeah, it's so beautiful and I like candles. Like, no, someone has lit a fire under my ass is what's happening. <laughs> and I have a deadline, is what that is. But also I think, you know, and I have struggled. I have sat down where I have like a rare block of three hours and I need to write a thousand words and I got nothing. And I end up scrapping everything that I wrote. It looks like something I wrote in fifth grade essay where it's just terrible. But I do think that you, I think all, everybody has those moments and you have to get that out in order to get to the good stuff. Absolutely. Um, you said so many things and I'm trying to keep a mental note in my head of all the things I wanted to reply to, but we might have to just accept that. <laughs> you, you got plenty of time. <laughs> Um, I know, but I already can't remember them because I was interested in what you were saying. So first off, obviously most people listening to this probably are not getting paid to write. They may be indirectly because in order to show up to do their work in the world, they have to write their social media posts or their website, but they're not getting paid as a writer with a capital W. So removing that incentive, it can be really hard. Yesterday I knew was a work day for me. I had a very specific set of tasks to do. But, you know, however you want to say it, the muse came, I was inspired, something was coming through me and I had something to write. So I spent four hours working on a piece that had nothing to do with my day, my plans, my promo schedule, any of that, Mm -hmm. which meant that I was up till midnight doing the unsexy working part that had to get done. And that's the reality of, of showing up as a working artist, because there is a difference between being an artist in the world and being a working artist in the world. That is very true. How do you feel about the the two different ones? I mean, I would love it if I just got to be an artist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would love it if I if a rich benefactor, if any rich benefactors are listening, <laughs> I am taking applications. Got my I pen. Would love, I, yeah, I'm ready. I would love to sit up in some, you know, Paris loft and and just get to bang away at my keyboard and mm-hmm. create beautiful art. That would be wonderful. However, that's not the reality. I'm a single mom. I have bills to pay like everybody else out there. And so creating that balance and finding a balance of, I assume that a lot of your listeners probably are entrepreneurs in some, um, in Actually, some way. They're not. Most of them no? are, okay. are nine to fivers. Yeah. Okay. But either way we have this, we have these tasks, we have these responsibilities to life. And we, very few of us just to get to go play and make art for art's sake. Mm-hmm. Being a working artist means monetizing your art, which means coming up against all kinds of really sticky, weird feelings. Um, especially when your art is, is deeply personal. As I know, like you share a lot of personal details, you go into really vulnerable spaces and you accept money for doing those things, which, which means untangling a lot of lessons. I think that a lot of us, um, have been handed down. Yeah. Really don't serve us. Yeah. It's, it's one of the scariest things ever. Cause I'll tell you what, it was a very different thing writing just for the sake of writing and, and putting it out there and nobody was really paying me and then getting paid to do it because then somebody else has an opinion of what I'm, you know, you have editors and you have people who are, where again, it becomes like a job. And anyway, I I feel like for the people listening, I do kind of want to switch gears because I do think that we have people like aspiring writers and authors who listen to this. Mm -hmm. And I I don't want to dissuade anyone at all, but I just do, you know, a little bit of a cautionary tale. I think that many times we can romanticize what it's like to be a paid writer or author, and it does come with its downsides. <laughs> we'll say that some, you know, there are some just like any job I feel like, but I actually want to switch gears a little bit. And I think that my, my gut is telling me that this might be helpful for people because you love, love letters. <laughs> like, how do I say this? You love, love letters. I love, love, I love, love letters. And that, um, in your book, you are not too much that includes some of your favorite passages and phrases and love letters that, that you've written. So tell us more just about the book in general and about your love for love letters. So I think the, in the inscription of the book, which, um, hopefully will be released and out in the world very soon. It has been a labor of intense love and I'm so proud of it. Uh, but the inscription does, or the, the introduction does say that, that in reality, everything I've ever written is a love letter. Yeah. Um, it all comes from the same space. And 
And for me, what drives my writing is finding this space of universal connection. So I often talk about how we've been given this, we have 26 letters, right? This random curves and lines that make letters. And we have this limited subset of words to talk about love or grief or longing or anger, whatever the things are that we want to talk about. A love letter to me is a, is when I'm able to use language to trans to transcend the differences between our experiences mm-hmm. and to hit this place where what I know of love can meet what you know of love. And when you read about my story or my experiences, you automatically can translate that into something that um, resonates with your own. Yes. I love that. That's, that's just the beauty of art, isn't it? Yes. It really is. And that's something I didn't know before. And I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think some people come from families where art is a thing, you know, and mm-hmm. their parents encouraged it or talked about it. And they had their own sort of conversations around art and what that means, not just for them, but for others as well. I didn't have that. My mom was a painter and, and here's something that was mildly heartbreaking. My mom painted before I was born and I actually have this canvas. It was like, it was was totally like for beginners, you know, it was like the, the cheese and the fruit, you know, (laughs) the wine glass (laughs) that people do in beginning art classes. And I asked, I, I still have it. It's, and it's inscripted, I think from like 1974, like right before I was born. And I said, why did you, why didn't you continue that? You were really good. Why didn't you, um, continue? And she's like, well, I had you. Mm. And I was like, you gave up your art when you became a mother? Be like, if, if, felt like in her, her belief system was it's one or the other. And I remember Mm -hmm. feeling so brokenhearted for that part of her that had given that up. And when she retired and she's, you know, taken some art classes at the senior center and and picked it back up, but a little side tangent there, I feel like everyone has it in them. Like creativity is that thing that gets brushed over that we have childhood shame around. Someone told us we weren't a good writer or that we weren't a good artist and some, for whatever reason, and we stuff it away. And that just absolutely a thousand percent breaks my heart. And so my gosh, if what people can take away from this is to go write themselves a damn love letter, then by all means. Yes. yes. I fully believe in the power of a love letter, a love letter to yourself, a love letter to your children, a love letter to the world at large. There's so many things. I think it's really important to say this, this podcast, this conversation is not about being a writer with a capital W. Mm -hmm. My work isn't about being a writer with a capital W. It's not about getting book deals. It's not, I mean, that would be lovely. Again, rich benefactor, book publishers, if you're listening. Yeah. (laughs) But what it really is, what drives me, my deepest belief is that, is that we are, are all creative beings. We all do have the capacity to create art inside of us. And, and actually, I believe it's a necessity. It's essential mm-hmm. to our well-being. It's part of what's broken um, in our society and how we lose touch with our essential selves as we get older and get sensible. <laughs> yeah, um, to-do lists. and mm-hmm. Yeah, but we all have a story. We, we, we go through this life. We come up through this world. And we are the only one who has lived that story the way we lived it. We're the only one who can tell it the way we can tell it. And absolutely, I have three things I kind of make people repeat. I say it over and over until my people are probably tired of hearing me say it. Yes, you are a writer. If you weren't, you wouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. I first gave AG1 a try because I was feeling low energy and sluggish and coffee just wasn't giving me what I needed. Especially in these winter months, I struggle with pep in my step. And since drinking AG1, I felt more energized and focused. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. Because aging is a part of life that we all have to deal with, but I don't think it should prevent me from doing the things I love, like going on long hikes with my dog. 
I want to do the things that matter to me for as long as possible, which is why I drink AG1 every morning to support my brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm laying the groundwork for long-term health. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process so you know it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrient density. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to have them as a long-term partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com noise. That's drinkag1.com noise. Check it out. Bills and other things to pay for don't just come bi-weekly, and neither should your paycheck. The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earnin. Earnin is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. You can use Earnin for unexpected doctor visits, vet bills, or even extra self-help books. Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability, security. It gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in noise under podcast when you sign up. It's really helpful to the show. Noise under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Number two, the world is waiting for your voice. And, and I get a lot of disclaimers on this, right? Not my voice, my story. Again, too traumatic, too boring, whatever. No, actually yours. Um, and, and number three, nobody can tell your story about you. Yeah. And what changes when people step into that place of, yes, I do have a story and my story has value beyond my own catharsis and my own therapy and all of that is that it changes how you show up in the world. A person, a woman, a human who shows up in my writing groups and gets really raw and real and shares this piece of herself, even if it never goes beyond that group, it doesn't have to be published on her Facebook or in a blog or in a book or an article, it changes how she shows up and interacts with the rest of the world because she's owned this piece of herself. She's taken the time, she's considered her own experiences worthy enough of being documented, of being kind of taking the dive into them and bringing them out to the world. Mm -hmm. For me, that changes everything. Yeah. I I totally agree with you. I wholeheartedly agree. And that that is, it seems like a small step, but it can be a very, very big one. You know, we are now living in an era where I think that women are, are having a little bit more confidence to come forward and talk about their stories. And, and even if it's, even if you write a story and it's just read to your writing group or you do like what you did and have an anonymous blog out there, I mean, that is, that's a big deal. That is really, really a big deal. If it's been living inside of you for so long and maybe you have told no one or just your therapist or just your partner or something like that, like this can be a really big deal, which actually brings me to writing rituals. Tell me what your definition of that is. I'm sure we have a lot of assumptions and how can someone begin a writing ritual to connect with their story? So first off, I'll mention, I do have a free download specifically about that, um, that I think you can probably add the link and, and share later. We love free downloads. Yeah. We'll pop pop the link in the show notes. Uh, I have one about pre-writing too. So, um, that might be helpful. So for me, ritual, and, and it, it doesn't have to be a ritual for writing. I think that, I think that we've, this culture has kind of discounted the impact of ritual, which is really just repetitive pattern behavior that sets the tone that gets you in a certain mood that, that gets you ready to write. It sends a signal to the universe that this is time for this activity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's incredibly valuable, not just for writing, but for any, 
anything that matters to you that you want to show up for. And writing rituals are as variable and as diverse as, as the people, you know, who are going to take them on. And it takes some experimentation and some willingness to get playful, to find out what are the things to you, um, that actually get you in the place. And it could be writing, it could be creating, it might be writing, it might be anything at all, you know, journaling memories for your children, whatever the creative act is that you want to take on. Figuring out what gets you to that place. For me, and, and this is a huge part of what I teach, it always starts with embodiment. So I tend to live way in my head. Way, way. Mm-hmm. So do way, all of way. us listening. Same, same. Way in my head. <laughs> uh, and, and it's not always a friendly place, right? Right. <laughs> and I'll, swirl, I'll be swirling up here. Um, if only everyone could see me right now because I'm totally talking with my hand. Um, everything's swirling up in the, in the ethers over my head and everything gets twisted and confused and tangled. So what I need to do first and what I have seen make the biggest difference for the people is some kind of practice of embodiment which could be a walk around the block. It could be getting your feet in the earth. It could be 10 minutes of yoga. It could be sex. It could be a hot shower. Anything that you know gets you grounded in your physical body. And, and I say that knowing that for a lot of us, that is not easy. I resist embodiment way more than I resist writing. You know what mine is? Is this this weird if mine is the whole experience of coffee? I was actually going to use coffee. Were you? (laughs) Yep. That's one of the, I didn't say it because I thought, oh, I've given enough examples. But yeah, sitting down, if you have a a ritual of preparing coffee. Yes. um, And you can get even more specific for writing, right? So if if that is something that grounds you in your body, then you choose one mug that's for writing. Right, exactly. Or one seat Mm -hmm. that you sit in. Or you, you, you kind of build this pattern of behaviors around it that sends a signal to your body, to your brain, to the universe. Okay, hold off everything else. For five minutes, 10 minutes, one hour, five hours, it's writing time. Mm-hmm. So embodiment is one thing. Um, for many people, especially those experiencing a lot of resistance, a lot of shame, a lot of hesitation around their writing, or if they're going to write really tender, kind of difficult things, um, and this, this practice of finding your writing alter ego um, can be really powerful. So if I can't say something, You know, like I created an alter ego to tell my coming out story. Um, But if I can't say something, if I can't find the courage, who do I have inside of me that can? You know, so mine in real life, I'm I'm like a pretty nice, sweet person. My alter ego is all edge. She's a chain smoking, leather jacket wearing. I love it. She's she's a rock and roll badass. She doesn't give any fucks. And in real life, I give all the fucks and Mm -hmm. I've stopped apologizing for it. But. Um, so when I have to write things that require that I can, I can pull to her and I can embody her in some way. So I have some students that leave a specific piece of clothing on the back of their writing chair that they put on, and it could be a hat or a scarf or a sweater or whatever it is. Um, some of them name and really personify this, this persona that they step into to write. Now I sometimes get feedback that that's not authentic then. Right. So there's the idea that we all have this essential voice and there's only one essential voice and you have to find your voice. I mean, I use that language in, in some of my writing, find your voice. I think we all have many, many voices, Mm -hmm. just like we have many, many beings living inside us. We're all full of contradiction and paradox. Um, you know, I don't, do you know the Walt Whitman quote about, do I contradict myself? Very well. I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. Oh, I haven't heard that one. But yes, I do uh, believe like in some ways we're all hypocrites. Yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely. just part of being human. It is. Um, and, and the thing, the, there are so many things about us that don't make sense when you line them up. Yeah. So to me, you get to choose which aspects of your voice you bring to which writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I work for corporate clients. I still write in my voice when I'm showing up as me and it's under my byline, but it's a very different voice than I would bring to writing about sex or desire or grief or trauma. Yeah. Um, so, so finding that kind of alter ego, so set of patterns and behaviors, um, 
and really that just, you just need to play with that until you get to the thing that you're like, yeah, that, that gets me in the mood. Yes. Oh, I love that. So, okay. Yes. Mine is coffee and whether I'm at home or the only other places that I've gone to write that are outside of my home are coffee shops. And mm-hmm. I get a cup of coffee and, and feeling the warmth of it around my hands, especially when it's cold outside, it's always extra special and smelling it and tasting it and just having it near me. It's a sense of comfort and ritual. It absolutely is. And mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know if I've ever even thought about it until we just had this conversation. Another thing that I've done sort of by accident with what you were talking about is and it's sort of funny. I I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit embarrassing. It depends on how you feel about this particular singer, songwriter, artist. My first book, I wrote a lot of it listening to the song over and over again, Animal by Kesha. Oh, I love it. I love it. So <laughs> Loud in my ears. And absolutely. Music is key. Um, I tend to do repeti- repetitive music as well. Um, I have specific pieces I've written where I've probably listened to a song a hundred or a thousand yeah. times while I'm working on this piece because that song captures that mood. So there are pieces of your ritual that might change depending mm-hmm. on what it is that you're doing. So, um, yeah, the repetitive patterns, embodiment, the alter ego. Um, and I really think, so here's the, here's my take. So some, some writers and artists love the idea of the muse. Some don't. I'm a muse fan because mm-hmm. I can tell the difference when I'm showing up and I feel like I have outside help and when yeah. I'm showing up to the page and nobody's coming to save me. <laughs> dang it. Uh, dang it. Right. So my relationship with a muse and I talk about seducing the muse. I have other um, students that talk about dominating the muse, like they're the boss of their muse. Mm-hmm. Okay. Whatever works. Right. Which is totally different to me because that's not how, that's not how my relationship is with that inspirational force in the universe. And I think it's just like God or religion. Like your muse can have a million different names. Your muse might be your child. Yeah. Your muse might be the trees outside, like whatever it is that, that is bigger than you or beyond you that inspires you to write. Um, so the muse is great. Like when she shows up, I'm sure, like you've said earlier, when she shows up, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. The words flow, you feel like you're in the zone. Um, but again, I go back to that practice of showing up to the page, to the work, to the story, because in my experience, if the muse shows up a handful of times and I keep going, not right now, not right now, Mm -hmm. I'm busy. I need to check Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) I've got to take a nap. Then my muse is like, I'm out of here. Yeah. I'm going to find somebody else. I'm going to find somebody else. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. With Shopify POS, you can accept credit cards, mobile payments, and every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing, starting on day one. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash noise, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash noise to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash noise. What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? I mean, that's what this show is all about, right? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you can do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. 
Babbel has over 16 million subscribers sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Their courses are so convenient and have helped me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's so easy to learn how to order food. That's where I get the most excited to use it at Mexican restaurants or ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while on vacation, etc. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash noise. Get 50% off at babbel.com slash noise, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash noise. Rules and restrictions may apply. If any of your listeners are fans of Elizabeth Gilbert, she talks about all of this a lot. She has a wonderful TED talk that I think everybody should listen to. Yeah. Is that the one where she's in the black turtleneck? Yeah. And yeah. she differentiates being a genius and having a genius. Mm. So I need to listen to that one again. Watch it again. Oh, so good. Yeah. We'll um, put it in the show notes. And it's, it's this idea that current society, we, we build people up to this guru status, right? You have got a whole lot of fans. You're really popular online. So you are a genius at what you do. And what she's sharing is in the ancient idea, in the beginning of this word, genius, muse, whatever term you give it, a genius was something that you had. It existed outside of you. You called it in. You had a relationship with it. And I love that distinction. I love that way better. It takes the pressure way off you to show up or me to show up as this person who has it all together. Yeah, And sometimes our genius is hanging out close and we're on fire and sometimes they're playing with somebody else. <laughs> we're like, we're like, I feel like sometimes I'm chasing my genius. Like, wait, right. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't Sorry. <laughs> and again, this isn't just about writing. This is about whatever it is. So yeah. whatever it is, that's burning. Like for me, when I have a longing, it lives somewhere between my heart and my stomach. Um, you know, my solar plexus area. And it's, it's just kind of like this heart, it, it, it can be expansive and big and on fire. And if I ignore it, it can be this hard kind of constricted knot. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever that longing it is that you have to do or make or create or build or become in the world, I do believe there are forces out there. And this is about as woo as I get, cause I'm <laughs> really a pretty concrete person. Um, there are forces out there that that you can channel to help bring that out to the world. And it's not necessarily, like I said before, the big, sexy, lit candles, you know, writer in the attic apartment in Paris, pounding away on the keyboard, like Hemingway. Smoking a Um, cigarette. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Smoking a cigarette. (laughs) Pounding back the whiskey, um, womanizing, whatever it is. Well, um, I have I have a question for you, and this is sort of like this is the part of the podcast where I am selfish, and I'm like, all right, because <laughs> I, I love everything that you're saying, and and I think sometimes it's helpful for my audience to know where I bump up on resistance and mm-hmm. like the struggles that I have, and I've mentioned this here and there on the podcast, and I don't I don't know to what extent I've actually told people. So my next book, I want to be a memoir slash self-help book. And I think that there's a genre that has a better name for it than that, but I can't remember. And here's where I'm bumping up against it. So I have this belief that I'm quote unquote, here it is. I'm not a memoirist. I am a self-help author. And even getting to the place where I could say out loud that I'm a self-help author, because for a long time I was like, I'm not a real author. I just write self-help. Like <laughs> you know, It's not that hard. <laughs> so I went through all that. And then I'm like, no, I actually, and my agents have been amazing, like, you know, talking to me about it. And they're like, no, this isn't like a fluke. Like you you actually are good at this. And so I've got through that hurdle, which I think so many people, whether it's their, you know, their job that they do or as a parent or something, it's like, no, you you do, you got a handle on this. You're good. And then when the next level comes, whatever that is in their life or their, their career, then it's like, oh wait, but I'm not that. That's not what I am. And so now I'm sort of grappling with this, and it's, it's allowed me to resist and procrastinate like crazy. And I just, I've been stuck in this place where I'm like, I don't, I don't, I can't do that. I don't know how to write narrative. I don't know how to, I'm going to have to write 
Uh, you know, just all these things that I'm not used to. I think you probably get the gist of what I'm saying as I'm like stumbling over the whole thing and like wringing my hands over here. It's it's a real, it's just a huge block. Well, kudos to you for being brave enough to own that first off. So you can like pause the hand wringing. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to, I'm in a weird place now where I'm going to paraphrase myself because I just actually posted a quote on Instagram this week where I actually had this kind of crystallized moment of understanding. And I wrote that of all the boxes I've been squeezing myself into in my life, the smallest and the most constrictive are the ones that I built for myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we tend to do that. We tend to create this. So the world, we like to label, we like to put like with like, we like to categorize you're like this. You're not like this. You are a mother. You are an entrepreneur. You are a self-help author, Mm -hmm. but in my experience, the labels we place on ourselves and those boxes we create for ourselves are so much smaller and we squeeze ourselves so much tighter to fit inside them. And it's so hard to step outside of whatever categories we put ourselves in. Like it's tough. So I acknowledge like that is not an easy thing. You're talking about expansion outside of the comfort that you've created for yourself. There's never a time for anyone where that doesn't take like this big deep breath leap at some point. And I do believe it has to be a leap. Like you can, so you could sign up for a narrative creative nonfiction course. Mm -hmm. So you could get a mentor, you could get a coach, but at some point you're going to have to take the leap of being able to stand there and say, yes, I am a writer, which means actually all of this writing is available to me. I am a master of my craft. I mean, how many books have you sold? Yeah, I know. No, I'm actually, let's, let's go through this. Do you know your numbers? (laughs) I do. I do. Um, So the, I don't know the first one. I'd have to check with my agents, but the second one, I want to say 40 or 45,000 at this point. And the number that I think I'm the most proud of is that it's been translated into 16 foreign languages. That's the part where I'm like, is that actually right? Like that, that's the part I think that scares me the most. And I did, and, and, I did a lot of work just to get there because I I was creating resistance with my first book because it was so scary for me to be put in the spotlight, to have this book come out. I know that energetically I stopped that book from being as big as she wanted it to be. And so I promised myself with the second one and I was challenged from my friends and colleagues and they were like, what do you need to do to allow this project to be as big as she needs it to be? And I, I completely personified her and- I did some stuff and it really wasn't like marketing or anything like that. Most of it was energetic, which I'm like you, Jeanette, like I'm not super woo, but it was, there was some ritual stuff that I did. I called on my angels and guides and really just surrendered and opened up to, and it would, it would sound something like this. I don't know what it is I need to do, (laughs) but I'm open to whatever it needs to be in order for this book to be as big as it needs to be. I don't know if it's New York Times bestseller, which it hasn't yet. I don't know. I I, I wouldn't have even put that on my like vision board or whatever if I had one right now of like, I want it to be translated into, you know, all these different languages. It wasn't even on my radar. All I did was said, okay, because I think that a lot of times we wish and hope for a bunch of shit that we don't have the emotional or mental capacity to actually handle that. I know for sure. We could have another hour. (laughs) Yes. I know I've done that so much. I really want all of this. I really want that kind of relationship. I really want da. And I was like, (laughs) who am I kidding? Meanwhile, I'm like resisting like crazy because for so many reasons, didn't think I was good enough. Didn't think I could handle it. Thought it was so many things. Yeah. Um, so I want to step back a minute and say for anyone listening, you might not have a book that sold 40,000 copies. You might not have a book that's been translated into 16 languages. You might not have a book. You might have no plans of ever having a book, but you have something in your life Mm -hmm. where you've stretched your capacity and yet there's something just outside of that that you want and you know, you want, and you know, it's meant for you. Um, So no matter what that thing is for you or no matter how small it might seem in comparison to the example that we're talking about, just kind of hone in on that for you energetically with the conversation. Because I really believe, again, going back to energetics, the actions, the experiences of moving beyond our comfort zone to the next thing 
it's all pretty much the same. Yeah, it is. It could be a promotion at work. It could be a whole other career. It could be an up level in your relationship. It could be an up level in your physical health, many, many different things. Yeah, whatever it is. And so if you, I had a, a mentor once, you know, drew on the whiteboard, all these concentric circles And these were all your comfort zones. So you don't just have one comfort zone. Like Mm -hmm. you have one that you're living in, but you have a lot of comfort zones available to you. Individual. And every time you take a step, there is a new comfort zone. There is that new line that's waiting for you. So it's not like you blow past your comfort zone once and then boom, you've done the work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like easy coasting from here on in. You can write all the books in all the genres. Never feel a shred of self-doubt because you've had this win, right? It It doesn't work like that. It would be really, really great if it were like that. I wish, but it's not. <laughs> that would be nice. And I, I completely hear what you're saying because I'm bringing my first little book baby into the world. And absolutely, it is smaller than it could be. And that's 100% on me. Mm-hmm. But I've decided to be okay with that for now because I'm learning from it. And I'm I'm sitting inside of that experience or the container of this and realizing, okay, so these were all the things I was going to do. And these were all the ways I was going to make this big. And I didn't follow through Mm -hmm. and I didn't hit deadlines and I didn't make this happen. And actually, okay. So that's really uncomfortable. I can't blame the universe for that. This is all in me. So I really resonate with what you're saying about that. As far as your actual path to go into this. And so you said earlier, you hesitated to call it a gift. So I feel in myself energetic now, like, wow, I'm stepping into offering you advice and you're someone I admire. (laughs) See everybody. (laughs) See how this works. (laughs) Because author wise, you have, you have way more credentials that you can list than I do. So I do this work and I teach writing and I write for a living and, and all of that but I actually haven't done the book thing. So I have my own inferiority complex in (laughs) giving you advice. And that's, that's natural. We're trained not to claim our gifts. Yeah. I think especially as women, especially as women, especially as women, we are absolutely trained not to own ourselves. So a huge part of the work I do actually has nothing to do with writing. Like it it is probably more life coaching, although, you know, that term Mm -hmm. obviously is problematic in and of itself, getting people to have the belief in themselves that they can take that step outside of their comfort zone. So I differentiate writing into three parts. There's the act of writing, which we've talked a lot about. There's the art of writing, which we've talked a little about. And then there's the craft of writing and the craft of writing. The the act of writing is showing up. The art of writing is the creative, fun, juicy, muse stuff. Um, the craft of writing is where the, the work begins, right? Um, And there are a few people out there who are Hemingways and Fitzgeralds and people who just probably woke up, you know, with a pen in their hand and were able to create these masterpieces. Most writers, most even really great writers are not those people. And again, substitute whatever word you need for writer right here. It is a craft and it is a craft that you can learn. I'm a far better writer than I was 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. and I will be a far better writer 10 years from now. So I would ask you, how much time are you spending reading the works of people who have written things like you want to write? Probably not as much as I should. And I don't know if you're going to say that I should be doing that or I shouldn't be doing that because I think that when I do that a lot, I go down the rabbit hole of comparison, which never helps anyone. So yeah, there is absolutely a fine line the comparison and the hero worship or the, I am not as good as that. Yeah. But there's a way to do that. So maybe for you, it's in shorter forms. Like maybe you can read essays, but specifically focusing on the craft, looking at how they're using narrative technique. You don't have to go take a course or an MFA, mm-hmm. but, but finding a few niche authors who are doing the kind of thing you want to do and look at how they're wielding their words. Yeah. Look at how I, I have done that. I yeah, especially because and part of it is because you know essay books books with of essays are sort of the new thing, right? Well, it's not really mm-hmm. the new thing, but a, a thing right now, and that's what I'm better at writing than just like one big long drawn out story. Like I, I'm not, I don't think I don't even want to do that. I'm not going to say like I'm not good at it. It's just I just don't think that that's where mm-hmm. I shine. So I think that I'm probably doing all the things I need to be doing where I'm. Um, I don't want to say I'm screwing up, but where the resistance is probably coming from is I'm not making the time to sit down and write. Right. So you need to go back to like, so that's what I, when I'm dealing with resistance or I'm dealing with my own, someone else's, I look at those three things, act, art, and craft. Mm-hmm. 
And identifying where the holdback is, is part of identifying how you have to move forward. So if your holdback is around the act of showing up for it, and that's about confidence and comfort zones, what can you do to blast through that even once? Yeah. How can you take your ritual and crank it up a notch? Because really, um, success breeds confidence. Mm -hmm. So having one really great, powerful writing session where, where you might not love all of what you wrote, but you know, there's one paragraph or one phrase in there. Yes. That, that said what I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. I got there. Even if only five minutes sometimes. (laughs) Honestly, I call that part mining for gold. So my process starts with paying attention. Um, and I can share a little practice around that paying attention, ritual, free, write, And then mining for gold. So you're, you're looking for, and sometimes it's a phrase. Sometimes it's a collection of words. There's mm-hmm. something in there um, that hit it. Yeah, I've done that before. Where it's just one sentence. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and that's actually a win. It's not a loss. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And this has been so helpful for me. And I'm I'm I, I certainly I know it would be helpful for for so many people. And again, everybody just replace whatever it is the thing for you. And and it really truly is just me committing to sitting down. And I I had another realization as you were talking, and this is what happens when you're coachable. Everybody is that you just keep an open mind (laughs) to whatever might come up. I realized that. So I sort of created a loose outline of what the memoir might be. And when I sit down to write and and another problem I have, because I think this might some people might relate is many times when I sit down to write, I have a belief and it's usually unconscious until I realize it is that I'm writing my final draft. Like this is it. Mm -hmm. Like I need to sit, you know, so that's one of them. But also when I sit down to write the essays, it's boring and not that I'm saying that my story is boring. I am bored doing it. And I think that it is because of what I just said, like that I'm, I'm writing as if this is the final draft and it's lost its magic, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it does. And e- even if it's a story you're totally passionate about, or a painting you're passionate about, or a job you're passionate about, after you've spent so much time, even if you're not doing the thing, but thinking about doing the thing, yes, <laughs> building up, you get like, uh, maybe I'm not like, maybe you don't, <laughs> look as good as, you don't look as good as you did in the bar that night. Right. <laughs> And then all of we'll something else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is anyone going to want to read this? Is this worth telling all of that stuff? So I have two things to say to that. One, when we're facing resistance, so many of us think we have to blast down a wall. So we're looking for this great big giant explosion of action and the wall shatters, the glass shatters, whatever you're on the other side doing a happy dance books written. Mm-hmm. What you're really looking for is the easiest way in. So you might be digging a hole to slide under. You might be squeezing around. You might be going over the top. The wall might need to stay for now. But if you keep looking to only get started after you've blasted down the whole damn wall, you might be on the other side waiting for a long time. So looking for the easiest way in. And the easiest way in, the second point, do you know who Brian Andreas is? I don't. Do I need to know this person? Oh, you should. Absolutely. Everybody should know Brian Andreas, and he's going to be a guest in the Unleashed workshop that that you're going to be guesting with as well. He tells stories, these finite, small little stories. He's a master of brevity and of getting to that universal moment. Um, And he was a guest on Unleashed a year and a half ago, and he talked about following what's fizzy. So we asked him the same questions. How do you get around resistance and self-doubt and all of that stuff? And he looks where he calls it fizzy. And that has stuck in my head so much. So when I'm looking at all of these things that I don't want to write, my job then is to find the one thing that has a spark of excitement. Mm-hmm. So for you, you've got an outline. And if you're, gen- if you are one of those writers and a lot of, a lot of people exist like this, where you want to go start to finish and create this finished thing. So first off, first draft sucks, second draft sucks, third, you know that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. this. Again, in life, anywhere. So giving yourself the freedom to go off the page, to go, and we don't always write when we're writing. Sometimes my best writing is done doing other things altogether. So finding, skimming your outline or skimming what you've written and going there, my heart kind of skipped a beat when I read that, or I took a deeper breath when I read that line, Mm -hmm. or there's something here that catches or connects to something that's happening in my life right now in a way that I can tell this story 
this is going to be easy for me today. This is my doorway. So wall's still there, fine, we accept the wall. But you might have found a window you can squeeze through. And that one fizzy little spot. <laughs> fizzy is not a word I would use otherwise, but it so captures. No, I, yeah, I totally hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. And I so appreciate that. And now my mind is kind of spinning about like what to do. And there's so much involved. We just have to have you on again, because then there's the organization and so many different things. So yes, but I know that our time is up and I am so grateful for the turn that this conversation took selfishly for me. I know. <laughs> and I know that we're having, we have both listeners who are writers and who are looking to transform their lives through some kind of writing. And that's truly for any of you, whether you don't consider yourself a writer, whether you resist journaling, I, I know that you're going to find some nugget in here. And if nothing else, there's uh, the unleashed, what are you, what, what is it actually called? It's not a program. It's a conference. It's, a, it's an unwriting workshop. An unwriting workshop. Thank you for, for tuning me into that. And I'm, I'm a part of it. And of course that link will be in the show notes and I'm, I'm so excited to be a part of it and have people listening to join us then. And where do you want people to go to find out more about you, Jeanette? Just my website is great. Uh, JeanetteLeBlanc.com. Um, and Jeanette LeBlanc on social media. So pretty easy to find. Those show notes are going to be, or sorry, those links are going to be in the show notes, everybody. I highly encourage you to go over there, read everything Jeanette's written. Soon as that book comes out, we will have you back on the show so we can talk more about that. Cause it's a little bit of a different topic, same, but different conversation. I feel like, and thank you so much for being here. This has been so amazing. Thank you so much. And I would love to come back because believe me, I have a whole lot to say about self-publishing. I Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I know that, I know that, um, and I've definitely looked into it so we can have a conversation about that and I will for sure have you on. And so everyone, thank you so much for being here with us. I know how valuable your time is and I'm honored that you choose it to spend it with my guests and me. And until next time, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye everybody. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.